The scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> That's a first. Oh my, okay. <laughs> right on the bone. <laughs> well, we're very imperfect around here. Um, welcome, if you're a visitor with us this morning. My name's Fred, I'm part of the team here. And uh, this morning's been an interesting morning. Lots of little challenges, but that's, that one's just kind of topped it off. Um, well, let's jump in. Uh, what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to do a series uh, that we're calling We Are Christ City. And what we want to do in this series is just introduce you to the, uh, the identity of the church and our vision, uh, our, our mission, and uh, what are the core commitments that we have. So I hope that if you're a visitor, this will be a great introduction for you, uh, what we're about as a church, why we do what we do. And uh, if, you're, if you've been here for a while, well, then this is a bit of a refresher course. It, it, think of it this way. It's a way of seeing the forest, um, and, and it'll help us when we're tempted to get disoriented and lost in the trees. It'll just help us see the big picture. So that's what this series of messages is, is meant to help us with. And before we jump in, can I ask uh, you to join me in prayer? Father in heaven, I pray that we would see how precious it is that you have called us out of darkness, the domain of darkness, and into the kingdom of your beloved Son. That you have taken us when we were lost, without hope and without God in the world, and you've brought us near. You've brought us to yourself in Christ. But, but not just that. You've made us members one of another. You've called us into the body of Christ. And I pray that this morning and in the coming weeks, we would see um, just how, how wonderful, how precious it is to be a part of your family, to be members of Christ's body, um, here in Kitsilano, um, on mission to help others know and love and trust Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in His name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're calling this city, uh, this series, sorry, We Are Christ City um, because... We are Christ's city. Um, contrary to the 
common dictionary definition of church. If you look in any dictionary, the common dictionary definition of church, and I'm just quoting uh, Webster's here, a building used for Christian, for public Christian worship. That's the common definition of church. A building used for public Christian worship. Eh, that's 100% wrong. That's 100% wrong. The Bible, please hear me, the Bible never, not once, does it speak about the church as a building or a place. Never once. The Bible always, without exception, the Bible always uses the word church to refer to a people or a community. The church is not a building. Now, on a few occasions, the New Testament refers to the universal church. That's, that's the, all the people from all times and all ages and all cultures throughout the whole world. On occasion, a few occasions, the New Testament refers to the church in that universal way. But most of the uses of the word church or ecclesia in the New Testament are referring to local congregations, just like us. Like I said, we are the church. We don't go to church. You can almost fill it in now. We are the church. There you go. Come on, play along. So, we don't go to church. We gather as the church. That's why we use that language. When we talk about meeting here on Sundays, we talk about our gathering as the church. We use that language very intentionally because our language shapes and informs our culture. And we want to have a culture in Christ City that is informed by the Bible. So we very... Uh, consciously, very deliberately speak about gathering as the church. Furthermore, the church is not something that we do. We don't do church services. The church is something that we are. I'll say it again. We are the church. So if I were to kind of gather up what I think the New Testament teaches. This won't be exhaustive, but what I want to do this morning is sort of plant a flag by giving you a, a, a working definition, my, my best attempt at a working definition of the church. If you're taking notes, write this down, because this is very different than what you'll get in Webster's. The church is the people of God. So that's the first and most important point. The church is the people of God who are united with Jesus Christ through faith and who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to make the glory and the good news of God known through their words and their deeds. That's my working definition of a church. I see some of you taking notes, so I'll give it to you again. The church is the people of God 
who are united with Jesus Christ through faith and who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to make the glory and the good news of God, to make it known through our words and our deeds, our lips and our lives. That is what the church is. That is a definition of the church. That is who we are. We're, we're called, Christ City, we are called by God to be His people. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are united with the living and true God. And we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to a task. We are all, if you're a Christian here this morning, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness, to make the glory of God and the good news about from God through Jesus Christ to make that good news known by the way you live and by what you say. Now we're going to turn to Ephesians 4 in a second, the passage that Jeremy read for us. And we're going to look this morning at our identity as a church our mission as a church, and our vision as a church. That's really the outline. And before we look at our identity as a church from Ephesians 4, we just need a little bit of background to understand what's going on. So if you were to look in the book of Acts, if you have your Bible, you might want to flip there, but we won't spend much time there. In the book of Acts, in chapter 19, we read about Paul spending two years. Paul did not plant the church in Ephesus or the churches in Ephesus. There's a number of churches there. He didn't plant these churches, but he came along and he spent two years ministering among the churches in and around Ephesus. And during his ministry there, as he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, the churches grew. The churches grew and they multiplied. And the Christian witness in the city of Ephesus, which is uh, still there in ruins, uh, you can go to it, it's quite wonderful. We went on our honeymoon. It's in uh, western Turkey, Um the church in Ephesus was growing and really having an impact on the city. In fact, if you read in Acts 19, there's a riot uh, because of this gospel that is having an effect on people. A riot breaks out. People who are opposing what Paul is preaching because it's uh, losing business for those who, who make idols and make a, make a lot of money off selling idols uh, of the, the, uh, the idol of Artemis. Diana there. And so that's a bit of the context of what happened as Paul ministered to the churches in Ephesus. And the letter of Ephesians that we read out of this morning is written five years after that, about A.D. 60. Paul is writing to these churches that he's ministered to for two years. He's writing to them under house arrest in Rome. And he's writing to them about the gospel and about how the gospel should influence us as a body of believers, as a church. And so the passage that Jeremy read for us is taken from the fourth chapter, and I want to read it to you again. Here's what Paul wrote. 
I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, remember he's under house arrest in Rome, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now you may notice there that word, therefore. Don't skip over words like for and but and because and therefore in your Bibles. The word therefore is therefore a reason. thought you'd like that. It's pointing us back. The word therefore, Paul is saying, in light of everything I've said in the first three chapters of this book, of this letter, in light of all of that, therefore, I want you to do this. And this chapter 4, verse 1, is really a hinge upon which the whole book of Ephesians turns. So what has Paul said? In in light of this, he wants us to do that. So what has he said in the first three chapters? Well, obviously, I can't go back and just start reading it through. I'd love to. It's glorious. I encourage you to read it, study it, pray over it, think on it. But we don't have time to go into detail. So what, in, in, let me summarize. Paul, in the first three chapters, is laying out for us the glory of the good news of Jesus Christ as it's lived out in the life of the church, as it's believed by the people in the church. This glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The first, the first 14 verses of Ephesians will blow your mind, but we can't go there. So what Paul does is he gives us three chapters and it's punctuated. It's a really wonderful read. It's punctuated with praise on the one hand and prayers on the other hand. He's just, he can't help but praising God or praying to God as he unpacks this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and these chapters, these first three chapters, really emphasize three main things. First of all, The sheer grace of God. The undeserved favor and love of God that He has shown us in Christ. That's the first thing it emphasizes, really. There's many things, but I'm I'm summarizing it down to three. Second thing He emphasizes is the death, burial, resurrection, and authority of Jesus Christ. Wonderful. All about the work of Christ, particularly His authority as the Lord of all things. And thirdly, Paul makes much of the immense blessing that has been poured out on us through our faith in Christ. He says in chapter 1 that we have received every spiritual blessing. That's us. Through our faith in Christ. And he's just, he's effusive, he's emphatic, he's, he's just going to no end to help us realize the riches of God's grace and mercy and love upon us in Christ. 
So in light of this faith-strengthening, soul-stirring, worship-inducing, awe-inspiring display of the glorious gospel in these first three chapters, Paul comes to chapter 4, verse 1, this turning point in the book. He says, in light of everything I've said, therefore... Now let's look at verses 1 to 3 again. I, therefore, in light of everything I've said, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. He's not, he's not just suggesting. He's urging us. He's emphatic. He's leaning in. Paul is very passionate, as everyone who believes in Christ should be. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he he fills that out for us. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, let me just say right here, this is very personal, with all humility and gentleness, that has not described me this morning. This is very personal. I didn't plan to put this in my notes. It isn't in my notes. But I have not been either humble or gentle this morning. And I owe an apology to Tanner and to Brant for not being humble and gentle this morning. Please forgive me. Um, We'll talk more later. but (laughs) Please forgive me. I need the grace of God. I, I, I so need the grace of God. If I let the grace of God um, be eclipsed by anything else, it's amazing how quickly I lose all gentleness and humility. And I hate it. I, I want to live like this. And it, it happens so quickly. I've just discovered again today how desperately I am in need of the grace of God. Paul says, therefore, in light of the grace of God, in light of the blessings that you've received, in light of being united to Christ through faith in His reigning authority over your life, in light of that, I urge you, I implore you, I plead with you to live a life that's worthy of this calling. He says, therefore, I urge you, I urge you to to live together with all humility and gentleness. I urge you, therefore, to live with patience, to bear with one another in love. Therefore, I urge you to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I emphasize therefore, therefore, therefore so many times because we can't do it without the gospel. We can't do it without Jesus Christ. Everything Paul says, every command that Paul makes in his letters is predicated on the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's always dependent on the grace through faith. Put it another way, the commands of the gospel only and always come after the provision of the gospel. If we try to live worthy of God and His glory without Christ, we will fail. 
If we try to live in humility and gentleness apart from Christ as I did this morning, what happened? If we try to live with patience and love toward others apart from Christ, we will fall short. If we try to maintain the unity of the Spirit apart from the Spirit, good luck with that. Here's the thing. And I, and, and I fall into this mindset. And I'm, I, I think maybe some of you do too. The Christian life is not about pretending or performing. The Christian life is not about pretending that we've got it all together. It's not about trying to pull up our bootstraps and just do better. That's not the answer. The Christian life is about repenting where we fail, trusting the grace of God, asking the Spirit of God to empower us to live this way because of Jesus. That's the Christian life. The life of every Christian and the life of the church as a whole is rooted in the forgiving, gracious, loving Savior who is with us, who is for us. I'm so thankful. That's why I can confess my sin publicly. I have no doubt that He forgives. I have no doubt that He wants me to live this way. And it's a reminder. You can't do this without me. Jesus said that in John 15.5. Without me, you can do nothing, Fred. I put my name in there. It's not in John 17. The Spirit has united us with Christ. And Christ is with... This is, I say this so often, and I need to preach it more to myself. Christ is for us. Christ is for you. No one is for you as much as Jesus is for you. These things are impossible without Him. So, I hope this encourages you. (laughs) We'll look at, at how... Christ is central to the church a bit more next week. But what I want to do is just drill down a little bit on what Paul says here in Ephesians 4 about the identity of the church. Look at verses 4 to 6. I love this language. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let's just look briefly at these in reverse order. First of all, there is one God and Father. Over the years in ministry, I've met a lot of people who really struggle with this truth. They have, they have a tough time understanding and thinking and cherishing the fact that God is their Father and that we in the church, we're family. That we're, we're members of God's family. That's, tr- that's troubling for them. That's difficult for them because perhaps... They had an abusive or an absent father. Perhaps their, their life went at home when they were growing up, their family life, there wasn't a place of joy and security and safety. And they, they have a lot of difficulty uh, taking this teaching on board. And it's heartbreaking to, to hear about people who grew up in broken families with harsh fathers. It's amazing how much damage 
a father can do. But let me just say this. Um, We mustn't let our experience cast a shadow onto God. We mustn't let that happen. This, this, This truth is too precious. God is the one true and good Father. All human fathers, even the very best of them, fall short of God's fatherhood. See, through faith in in Jesus, God's Son, we have been adopted into God's family. He is our Father. We are His children. And that means, whether you like it or not, you're all brothers and sisters. We're all brothers and sisters. We're stuck with each other. So we better get along. Nothing breaks my heart more than my, my kids are hitting each other. We're all brothers and sisters. No matter what our differences, we're all incredibly different. Different race, different sex, different education, different income, different accomplishments. Our stories are radically different. But each and every one of us are God's beloved children and we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And that truth has to inform the way we relate. That's what Paul wants here. That's what God wants here. That truth has to inform the way that we relate with each other. Look at what 1 John 3 says. The apostle encourages us. Look at what he says. Behold, behold what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what you are. Behold it. The lavish love of God, that you are His child. There's one God and Father. There's one baptism, Paul says. Now, Paul, in this passage, if you notice, he highlights highlights the person of the Spirit. He highlights the person of the Lord Jesus. And he highlights uh, God the Father. And he highlights these to stress the unity of the church. But do you, if you're baptized, which I I hope if you're a Christian, you're baptized. um, When we're baptized... We're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're baptized into the Trinitarian life of God. And what I'm saying is that we in the church, we are experiencing, we are enjoying our life together is the life of the triune God at work in us. That's amazing. Our baptism is an identification with Christ's life and death and burial and resurrection. And Paul says in Ephesians 2.18 that it's through Christ that we have access to the Father by the Spirit. Trinitarian again. The Trinitarian life of God. That's what we share together. That's what we enjoy together. That's what God calls us to press into more and more together. We'll never, you'll never get to the edge of that. You'll never get to the bottom of that. You'll never exhaust the Trinitarian life of God. 
We just don't desire it enough. We get, we get in our little, um, you know, our, our little cramped space and we think there's the Christian life and I'll just live it here. And the Lord is saying there's no walls. It's all expanse. You know that, that scene in um, the Truman Show? You know where he takes the boat up to the edge of the world that he's living in and he hits the wall and you know it's... If you don't know what I'm talking about, just ignore me for about 30 seconds. You know, when he gets to the end of his world and he bumps into the wall and he, I think the boat actually puts a hole in the wall, right? That isn't life with God. There's no limits. There's no walls. There's more and more and more and more and more. And if that's true of this life, how much more in the life to come? That's what eternity will be. A deeper deeper dive into the life of the triune God. We get a little taste of that. We get a little taste of that as the church and only as the church. There's Lone Ranger Christians is an oxymoron. We can only experience this life as we are one body in Christ. That's why Paul says, one faith, one Lord, one hope, one spirit, one body. All of us who make up the church, we've got to be humbly united around this truth about who God is and what He has done and how we have come to know Him. Because this is our unity. This is where we can be united, joyfully united. Because God is absolutely united in Himself. There's no partisanship in God. There's no Republicans and Democrats. You know, the tr- God is a Republican, the Father is a Republican, and Jesus is a Democrat. There's, there's no partisanship in God. There, there's, no, uh, there's no competition in the persons of the Trinity. All work together to glorify His name and accomplish His work in the world. Now, I think it's important to say that even though Paul is emphasizing oneness here, one Father, one baptism, one faith, one Lord, one hope, one spirit, one body, it's important to to note that unity here does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean uniformity. God has taken all of our differences, our different stories, our different personalities, our different gifts, our different strengths, our different weaknesses, And he's brought them all together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's all of our differences submitted together, unified together at the foot of Christ. That helps to um, reflect his glory brighter and further and more wonderfully, creatively, diversely. God loves diversity. I just looked at the flowers in our uh, in our front yard this morning. It's amazing. I wish I knew more about them. No chance I'm going to. And I just, you look around you. God loves diversity. God, God forbid that we would be a homogenous church. We want to be a diverse people united in Christ. Different ages, different ethnic backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, different gifts, tradespeople and professional people and students and the whole gamut. 
We're all in Christ woven together into this wonderful tapestry. It's a beautiful picture. Love what what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That word there for workmanship is the Greek word poema. It's where we get our word poem from. We're God's handiwork. We're God's artistry on display. So why does Paul emphasize unity so much? I'm running out of time. (laughs) Why does he emphasize God and unity in Christ so much? Here's why. It's not about us. The church is not about us. The church is about God. The church is about God, His glory, and His mission. That's why the church exists. The church exists for God's glory and God's mission. We have to be united around that truth. We can't be endlessly competing with each other, provoking one another, envying one another. We can't think of the church as some sort of of religious country club that exists for the comfort of its members. It doesn't. If we do, we will not glorify God and we will not fulfill His mission. You know what? I I find it striking that just barely hours before Jesus is arrested and, and, and tried, just hours before that, Jesus knows what is coming. What is foremost on his heart? What does he pray for in John 17, just hours before he's arrested? Do you know what he prays for? He prays for the unity and the mission of the church. Look at John 17, verses 20 and 21. This is Jesus praying his high priestly prayer. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's, he's saying, I'm not praying just for the disciples, the 11 disciples. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Guess what? That's you and that's me. We are believers today. If you're a Christian today, you believe because of the message that the disciples wrote down in the Scriptures that have been communicated to you from some other Christian that, that you believed. So this includes all of us. Jesus is praying for you in this prayer. And he says, I pray for all, also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is praying for us and he is asking the Father that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. What an amazing prayer. This is what is foremost, uppermost on Jesus' heart just hours before he's betrayed. Think about it. Jesus prays that we would be in a relationship with God and with one another in the way that he is in a relationship with his Father. Wow, that's a high bar. And as Jesus makes very clear in this prayer, this unity that he's praying for is not an end in itself. This unity is, has a goal. It has an outcome. He prays, there's a so that there. Did you notice? 
Look at verse 21 again. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, the unity that we have as a church, which incorporates all of our differences, it has a goal. And the goal of our unity on display for the world to see is that people would believe. Is that people would see that God the Father sent His Son into the world to reconcile people to Himself through His life and death and resurrection. That's why it matters. It's not about us. The church exists for God's glory and God's mission. So what is our mission? Well, I could quote to you Matthew 28, perhaps the most famous statement of the mission of the church. Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you to the end of the age. I could quote that. I just did. There's a number of places in the New Testament that give us that missional focus. But what we've done is, is put it in our own words. And basically, it's just a statement of Matthew 28. Here's our mission. There's a slide for this. Christ City Church exists to worship God and make disciples. See, it's not about us. We exist as a church to worship God and make disciples. And we live to create opportunities for people to encounter Jesus. Now, this is helpful. This is, this is the why. Why we gather and why we go. This is it. If you're a member of the church, if you're part of the body of Christ, this is your mission. This is our mission together. Now, that's our way of summarizing the language of the New Testament and the Great Commission and other places. But the question is, the question we still got to dial down on a little bit more is okay that's a great mission but how are we going to do that as christ city church in the 21st century here in vancouver i'm glad you asked because that's where our vision comes in see we've looked at the identity of the church we've looked at the mission of the church very briefly but how are we going to do that specifically here in vancouver here in kitsilano And that's where our vision comes in. Look at the slide here. Our vision as a church, as Christ City Church, our vision is to establish a network of neighborhood churches that are large enough to meet the unique demands of ministry in the city and yet small enough to maintain community. That's our vision. Vision is the specific way that we as Christ City Church are going to fulfill the biblical mission of the church. Now, I'd love to tell you the story of of how uh, we came into this, but I see I'm running out of time. I was pastoring a little church in Kitsilano, just a few blocks away from here, on my own, um, and and I was drowning. I, I was getting pretty burnt out and the energy level was you know it's like the the tractor beam on the death star like that um and and i didn't know how much more gas i had in my tank and then a friend of mine pat sabell we just sang one of his songs this morning said you got to meet my buddy brett and so i had a coffee with brett who's the pastor of 
Christ City South Van. And we got on like a house on fire. Immediate bromance. And uh, we talked and, and they said that they were praying about planting a church in Kitsilano. And the more we talked, I think it was a three-hour meeting, we just all firing on all cylinders. We got along. It's my long-lost brother. And um, I think we were walking back to the cars at the time, to our cars, and I said, would you ever think about maybe doing a partnership of some kind? And he said, why don't we meet next week and talk about that? So we did. We talked for another three hours. And after a couple more conversations like that, it seemed as though the Lord was up to something. So I remember, Jonathan, are you here? Where's Jonathan? There he is. Jonathan was, uh, he's working full time, but he was serving the bridge, the little church that I was pastoring. And Jonathan was my right, is my right hand guy. Um, another elder in the church. And I brought it to Jonathan. And I think immediately he looked at me like, are you nuts? But we talked about it. Remember that long walk we had? We talked about it. We prayed about it. And we just thought we'd let the Lord lead. And I don't know, a week or two later, you said, let's explore this more. So we went and talked to a number of people in the church. And there seemed to be a green light. And so eventually we brought it to everybody in, in our little church. And, and everybody thought that that sounded like a great idea. Um, and so we began a relationship with Christ City, South Van. And just a little over two years ago, we planted this church. We're just getting started. And, and let me say, this is where this idea of large enough to meet the challenges of, uh, you know, the, the, the unique challenges of ministry in the city. I think we have benefited greatly through our partnership with Christ City. Um, I can't think of a day that goes by where we are not uh, collaborating on something, whether it's outreach or pastoral care with the people, not just in the staff and, and folks over at Christ City South Van, but also now we're planting a church in East Van with Jake. Seven or eight of us have gone out to join that work. There's something that we're able to do in this relationship, this network relationship that I don't think we ever could have done on our own. I know I couldn't have done it. And so there really is a, a wonderful synergy that we've we've experienced. And again, I think we're just getting started. We are committed, Christ City, we are committed to reaching this city for Jesus. And we are committed to planting churches. We don't take a vote about planting churches. It's in the DNA of our church. It's in our vision. And we are committed to planting churches to reach this city. There's 635,000 people in Vancouver who do not know Jesus. And so we need to pray and press in and be active in our communities to plant churches and to, to be on mission. Remember what I said, to, to let the glory of God and the good news of the gospel to communicate these things with our lives and our lips. That's what we're called to do. It's not about gathering just on Sunday. It's about going. It's about being sent as the church, to our workplace, to our school, to the, the, the golf course, if you're... I'm taking up golf again. Um, <laughs> boy, it's sad. Um, wherever you go, to your neighbor, 
I, I just love so much how Della and Doug have, have made it a, a regular practice to have neighbors and friends and colleagues and co-workers over to their house often for the purpose of mission. Thank you for doing that. That's exactly what we're talking about. So let me just close, and, and I'm, I'm leaving a bunch out here, but let me just close with a few thoughts. Where are we going to be in five or ten years? I have no idea. That's up to the Lord. But I want to dream with you for a second because I really want us to see together where, where God might be taking us. I, I see in the next few years a handful of churches throughout the city that are strategically networked to reach the surrounding neighborhoods for Jesus. We're already seeing that happen. I see churches that are ethnically diverse and multi-generational just like our city, that reflect the neighborhoods that we're trying to reach. Pray about that. I see churches that are motivating and equipping people to be actively on mission for Jesus. If, if you're kind of thinking, how do we do that? Well, go and talk to Doug and Della. They're on mission for Jesus. Um, I see churches... I see churches where people are truly known and cared for and where we're making every effort to know and care for others outside the church. Let me just say, I think we're good at this. Let's press on. Let's do even better. Let's outdo ourselves. I pray about sometimes, we, we, in this city, because of the costs, we tend to see people move out to the valley. I'm praying for something else. I'm praying that people would move in from the valley. I'm praying that God would put a a burden on people's hearts to reach this city for Jesus and that people would come from Langley and Abbotsford and Surrey and wherever, Burnaby, (laughs) and, and come into the city. And so you may never own a house here, but to rent here and be on mission. I see people doing that. We need to challenge them. I see churches where people are experiencing the life-transforming power of the gospel to overcome their deepest problems and troubles. This is beginning to happen. I see churches that are radically countercultural in the way that we give and serve and live for the sake of others. I see churches that are passionately involved in doing justice and showing mercy on a local level. I see churches where everyone is equipped and committed to live out their faith in every area of their life, in their schools, in their workplace, in their home, their families, their neighborhoods. I have a bunch of other points. I'm out of time. I see churches where everyone is committed to discipleship and creating opportunities for people to encounter Jesus Christ. We've got to be this kind of church. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for God, His glory, and His mission. Let me close with this. I was reading the other day a little quote by C.T. Studd. He was a 19th century missionary to China. And it struck me, and I just want to leave you with it as I close. C.T. Studd said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last that's true
It's only what we do by the grace of God for the name of Jesus Christ that is going to outlast our little lives here. Don't you want that? I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of seeing the kingdom of God advance in this city. That's a heavy burden on my heart. Let's pray. Father, would you make us a people? A people who are united by your grace, who are submitting to the lordship of your son, Jesus Christ, who are empowered by your spirit to live in a way to live in a way that others would hear and to live in a way that others would see this glorious good news that we, we've come to believe. This good news about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his reign, and his return one day. Lord, help us to live into that. Be on mission. Find our own way to be on mission. There's no cookie-cutter approach. Stir up our hearts. Get us praying about this. Get us talking about this as a community. We want to make a difference for your name in this city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.